0: You are listening to the Sermon Stream of the Mulvane Church of Christ in Mulvane, Kansas. Subscribe in your favorite podcatching app, or find and listen to any sermon online at mulvanechurch.com sermons. So Galatians chapter 3 and verse 19 is where we are, where the Apostle Paul begins with a pretty tough uh, question of himself. Why the law then? Well, if all I've said is true, I know a bunch of you guys are going to say, why the law? Let me answer that. And so, going back to the earlier part of the book, after Paul's biography, uh, and after his defense of preaching this gospel as from God, the Apostle Paul talked a lot about justification by faith. Having said directly, in chapter 2, verse 16, in contrast to the law, yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law. So whatever else Paul's going to say about the law, he is not going to say is for justification. So again, back in 2.16, we know a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So also we believed in Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law. And then just for a third time in that verse, to make sure you got the point, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. Okay, so whatever our answer is going to be for why the law, it is not going to be justification. As a matter of fact, he pointed out that uh, salvation in chapter 3, as Paul now explains and defends uh, the fact that justification is by faith in Christ and not the law. He'll say that chapter 3, verse 6, Abraham believed God, that was reckoned to him as righteousness, quoting the uh, Genesis 15, 6. Uh, And then, therefore, it is those who are of faith who are sons of Abraham. And so the sons of Abraham are by faith. The Jews thought that the real important sons of Abraham were by genealogy. Paul in this section is going to develop that to say, no, it's by faith. But those who are under the law and he'll uh, point out that that law came much later, Uh, they're under a curse. So they thought in the law they had life, and they thought in the law they had blessings. Apostle Paul says, "Um, No, sirs, you have a curse. Verse 10, For as many as are are of the works of the law are under a curse, for it's written, Cursed is everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book. Uh, Who did everything that's written in the book? Uh, I don't think anybody did those things written in the book. Curses everyone who does not abide abide by all things written in the book of the law and perform them. Well, that's going to curse us and damn us all. However, verse 12, the law is not of faith. On the contrary, who, who practices them shall live by them. So one's about performance, one's about faith. For Christ redeemed us, verse 13, from under the curse of the law having become a curse for us. For it's written, Cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. In order that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles, so that we would receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. That was verse 14. And in verse 17, what I'm saying is this, the law, which came 430 years later, did not invalidate a covenant previously ratified by God, so as to nullify the promise. For if inheritance was based on the law, it is no longer based on a promise. But God is granted it to Abraham by means of a promise. That's what we studied last time. Those who were under the law were cursed, and the law did not invalidate or change what God, without conditions, had promised Abraham that in him all would be blessed. So then, I think the Jew at this point goes, What was the law for? All you pointed out is how bad the law was. I thought the law, and don't we have the law is holy, righteous, and good? And it is. Paul actually said those words in Romans 7 about the law. The law is holy, righteous, and good. And so they would say, I think, many would, how Paul begins tonight's reading, verse 19, Why then the law? Wouldn't we be better off without it? And actually, now that Christ has come, What's the answer to that question? Absolutely. We are better off without it. We are better off without the law now that Christ has come. But when did the Jews receive the law? Well, 500, 600 years after Abraham, but 1,000 years before Christ, right? So it was a long time after Abraham, but it was still a long time before Christ. So the law did its thing the law had its purpose, why the law? Well, for these reasons, Paul will now say here in verse 19 and continuing. So, the question here, the question here, why then the law? All right, well, we're going to have four reasons. The Apostle Paul is going to give us four reasons for the law. First, he's going to say the law was because of transgression. The law was because they were sinning the camp. The law was because when they came out of Egypt, basically the children of Israel were a lawless mob. Somehow they changed from that lawless mob of idolaters uh, frolicking around the golden calf while Moses is up on the mountain getting the uh, law from God. They changed from that to the people who went to synagogue on a regular basis. They changed from that to the people who went around debating the law in their daily life. They they changed from uh, those uh, unrestrained idolaters to a people of the book. And so it was because there was transgressions there, and those transgressions needed to be limited, that we find the reason for the law. So verse 19, why then the law? It was added because of transgression. So the law was there. Because of transgression, until the offspring should come to whom the promise had been made. And it was put in place through angels by an intermediary. Not intermediary implies more than one, but God is one. So let me tell you about the law. First off, the law was there so that the people could be restrained from sin until the offspring who is the promise, until the, uh, the the one seed would come who would redeem all mankind. And there's a lot of things of, uh, regarding sin that the law does really well. Uh, one of the things it does regarding uh, sin really well is it points out what's sinful. Right? Do this, don't do that. Do this, don't do that. Do this, don't do that. Of course, immediately, what do people do? They do the don'ts and they don't the do's. And what does it point out? It shows how sinful people are. So like Paul said to the Romans, Romans 3, 19. Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those under the law, that every mouth may be closed, and all the world may become accountable to God, because by works of the law no flesh will be justified, for through the law comes the knowledge of sin. So the law illustrates sin. The law defines sin. The law shows just how sinful sin is. The law lets you know about your sin. The law lets you know exactly how and why you're condemned. And the law was needed because the people were doing things that were so terribly wrong and against what God had to say, and they needed to fully know that. And so we have this instruction that Paul told Timothy about uh, those, again, who were trying to live under and by the law. Uh, people thought the law was the way of righteousness. The people thought the law was the way of morality. Well, it turns out the law was there because, not because people are moral, but because people are immoral. First Timothy 1 Timothy 1.8, beginning, we'll read down to verse 11. But we know that the law is good if one uses it lawfully. Realizing the fact that the law was not made for the righteous man. The law was not made for the righteous man, but for those who were lawless and rebellious and the ungodly and sinners, for the unholy and profane, for those who kill their fathers or mothers, for murderers and immoral men and homosexuals and kidnappers and liars and perjurers, and whatever else is contrary to sound teaching. According to the glorious gospel of the blessed God with which I've been entrusted. So the law was there because of immoral people, not because of moral people. And so this idea that law brings um, uh, righteousness, law restrains immorality, but it doesn't bring full righteousness. Think about the law and and the, the code by which Abraham lived. Abraham did not have the law of Moses. Abraham did not have all these restrictions. And yet, how many of the things of the law of Moses would Abraham have broken? Well, you don't even think about that because why? Abraham was a righteous man. Abraham was a righteous man. Abraham was a generous man. Abraham was a respectful man of his neighbors. And so did Abraham need the law to make him that way? No. His faith in God made him that way. And Isaac. We don't know as much about him in his biography, but wasn't Isaac a pretty decent fellow? Why? Because he also lived by and trusted in the ways of Jehovah. And then you think about Jacob, the man who becomes named Israel. How did he live? Okay, now we're starting to see a little problem here. Yeah, he did sort of trick his brother, Uh, he didn't exactly act right in the way he uh, secured the birthright uh, and the blessing from his father. Uh, But you compare him to that rascal of the family that he had to go live with after that, Laban. I mean, who's the paragon of moral virtue? Well, it's, it's Jacob, isn't it? But then as his house grows, and we turn from Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and we turn to the 12 boys, what do we find? We find their terrible action after the mistreatment of their sister Dinah. We find their terrible treatment toward their brother. Uh, We find their brother uh, in his uh, maturity and chastisement down in Israel, turning and seeking for God. But what do we find about the rest of them? And as generations go by, and we have the children of the children of the children of Abraham, what do we find? We need some kind of code here. We need some kind of law. Well, we need some behavior, uh, you know, uh, instruction. And when they come out from the yoke of Egypt, and they come out from that tight oversight of the Egyptians, and now they're going to watch themselves? How do you think that's going to work? It'll work just about as well as that golden calf incident shows. They needed the law. They needed the law. And so the law was added because of transgressions the law was not given because of righteousness. The law was given because of immorality. Again, the law was not made for a righteous man. The law was made for the immoral. So the law was given because of transgression. And it was a glorious thing. It in itself had a holiness to it. It in itself had a purity to it. Not that the people could live up to that uh, they constantly uh, disappointed God. The, as it says in Acts uh, seven fifty three. 53, you received the law ordained by angels, yet did not keep it. And so it was given to them, but they didn't keep it. Now, there in Acts 7, and here in Galatians 3, we'll just make a quick note that it talks about being given through angels. Reading my Old Testament, without these New Testament um, instructions, I wouldn't know as much about the uh, work of angels in it uh, as uh, uh, as we do. There's also Hebrews two two, if the word spoken through angels proved unalterable. And so I'm not sure what all the significance of, of angels is, except that I know in the book of Hebrews, there's a comparison of uh, that which is given directly by Christ to that which is given by angels to men. And so the fact that it came uh, through these angels, or even through Moses, as it says, by agency of a mediator here in this verse, the fact that it came by uh, not direct, but indirect means, is pointed out as something of its glory, uh, compared to the gospel, which is delivered directly by Christ and the inspiration of the Spirit. But, uh, Uh, We see that uh, there's a limit to comparing these things uh, of God to the things of men. As verse 20 says, Now mediators, not for one party only, whereas God is only one. And so uh, even calling this a a mediated covenant, as though you had somebody stand between the two parties, God on one side and Israel on the other, and and hammer out an agreement that you'll do this and you'll do this. Even thinking about a mediated covenant in that sense, when it comes to God, is, is not quite right. So there's a limit to our comparison of these things, to human terms. But the apostle says that's the best we got. So we understand there's limits here. So uh, God gives, and man uh, had the law then to follow. So the law was given because of transgression. That's the first reason Paul said it was given. And he reiterates that it was not for life. So a negative thing here, it's not It's not for life. The promise was the universal blessing through Christ. And so he goes back to that theme in verse 21 when he says, Is the law then contrary to the promises of God? And so did the law set aside or do anything to God's promise? Well, certainly not. For if the law had been given that could give life, then righteousness would have indeed come through the law. Now, what Paul has said repeatedly is righteousness does not come by the law, but instead it comes by faith, and faith is counted or imputed as righteousness. So it is not through the law that righteousness comes. If you could do righteousness via law, the Old Testament, the law of Moses, that would have been the perfect place to do it. Yeah, You had a perfect law, you had a holy law, you had a just law, you had a divine law. Uh, you had a special place to do it and a special uh, God-guarded holy land. Uh, you had the special priest. You had the special temple. You had, you had everything. Yet, through the law, we just see the indictment of sin, not the eradication of sin. And so if the law had been given that could impart life, well, we could have done that, and that would have been done. And actually, that was the Jewish position, that the law gave life. As Jesus addressed the Jews in John 9, excuse me, John 5 39, you search the scriptures because you think in them you have eternal life. Well, that's that's what Paul says here. Yeah, you, you think the law gives life. No. And so Jesus said, You search the scriptures, thinking in there you have a life. Yet it is these that testify of me. And you're unwilling to come to me, so you may have life. And so the law could not bring righteousness. The promised one could offer righteousness through faith in him, but the law could not offer righteousness. The law can condemn. As we said, the law can indict, but the law cannot truly cleanse. If you break the law, you're guilty of the law, and you're under the obligation to keep all of it forever. So the law, it says this in the Hebrew letter, for the law, since it was only a shadow of the good things to come and not the very form of things, it can never, by the same sacrifices year by year, which they continually offer, make perfect those who draw near. Otherwise, they would have ceased to be offered because the worshipers, having once been cleansed, would no longer have consciousness of sins. But in those sacrifices, there's a reminder of sin year by year, for it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sin. So it was impossible by what the law did to take away sin. And so the law became, as the Hebrew writer says, a reminder of sin. The Apostle Paul uses stronger language here as we move on to verse 22. The Apostle Paul says the Scripture has imprisoned everything under sin. It's imprisoned you under sin. You're in sin, and you remain in sin under the law. Now, you're not sinning as much. By the law, if you follow the law, you would not do near as many sins, as many, or most, maybe, of your unrestrained, untaught, without law, pagan neighbors. And so in a comparative sense, wasn't often the Jewish nation more righteous? Well, they thought they were. Just ask them. But in fact, by the time we get to the book of Romans, doesn't Paul talk about these moral Gentiles who, by conscience, do the things of the law. And so there can be people who have the law of God, and yet by uh, their uh, poor following, yet by their uh, pride, yet by uh, their own sinful inclinations, can't they be just as sinful, or sometimes worse, than those who don't know? Yeah. Don't we see sometimes people outside the church compare some particularly uh, moral and good person to some people in the church and they'll say see so-and- so he's not a believer and he's a better person than so-and-so who goes to your church and what do we say when they say things like that sometimes we have to say well that's not the point <laughs> we have to say well uh, that shouldn't be so but unfortunately it is or we might say, well, if you want to compare the best of the world to the worst of the church, you might have a good comparison, uh, and you might have a favorable comparison. But in any case, what would that prove? Uh, that they they won't be con- they won't be condemned for as many sins. What we find is, without the grace of Christ, uh, all of those who lived under the law ended up imprisoned under sin. Now the great news is. Then they'll appreciate all the more the promise, and all the more the release, all the more the release as well that comes in Christ. So that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. And so, all of this condition of the under the law, all of this endless attempts at law keeping, which the apostle Peter would say in Acts fifteen and verse ten, uh, he would say, "This is a burden." which neither we nor our fathers are able to bear, we'll be able to say, oh, happy day. We've been able to get rid of that and come by faith in Christ. So the scriptures, because they were for transgression, not for life, and they illustrate just how uh, sinful sin is, they show what Paul would say to the Romans that all have sinned. Here it is that all are shut up under sin, In Romans 3, it's more simply, maybe directly stated, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So Romans 3, 9 beginning. What then? Are we better than they? Not at all. For we've already charged that both Jews and Greeks are all under sin. As it's written, there's none righteous, not even one. There's none who understands. There's none who seek for good. All have turned aside. Together they become useless. There's none who does good. No, there's not even one. And it goes on like that for seven or eight more verses. So, verse 19. So now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those under the law. So, yeah, that's about us, Jews. Uh, We think we're better than the Gentiles, but the law was speaking to us. Those prophets weren't speaking to pagans, they were speaking to Jews. It speaks to those under the law that every mouth may be closed and the whole world be accountable to God. So that's what this says. It's all are shut up shut up under sin. All are accountable to God. Because again, by we're in Romans 3.20, because by works of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight. For through the law comes the knowledge of sin. But now apart from the law, here we are by the promise that's in Christ, not by the law, by what's in Christ, by the promise. Apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been manifested being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all those who believe, and there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So the law and the prophets witness this. The law and the prophets should guide you to this. The law and the prophets give you reason to believe this, that the promise is by faith in Jesus Christ to those who believe. So, uh, that's here. We're back in Galatians 3.22. The promise by faith in Jesus Christ is to those who believe. In the book of Romans, it was being justified as a gift of His grace to the redemption which is in Christ. Or Romans 11.32, a summary of this whole thing. For God has shut up all in disobedience, that He might show mercy to all. So, all are shown to be in sin. Why? Just to condemn everybody? No, God could do that anytime. any time. Not that hard to do. Finding things wrong with people, but shooting fish in a barrel, it's not that great of an accomplishment. I mean, just, just think about anything or anybody, any human endeavor, and just ask people, hey, what's wrong with this over here? They'll tell you. Doesn't everybody know what's wrong? Now, who can fix it? Nobody. But everybody can analyze the problems. Everybody can list the shortcomings. And the same thing with human behavior. Just ask about anybody. Ask about old Tom, Dick, or Harry. Ask about any of them. Ask about Fred or Ginger or Marianne or the the professor or Mr. and Mrs. Howe. Just ask about any of them. What's wrong with that person? Well, people know. Everybody knows. It's no big secret, right? We know what's wrong with them. Well, why don't they fix it? Right? The fix is the hard part. And so what we note is now we have a solution. We finally have one solution. It's by the one who blesses all mankind. The promise given by faith in Jesus Christ to those who believe. Now, as we just read from Romans, the law was a witness to this. The law uh, helped point this out and guide you to it. And so here is the last thing that Paul says now the law is useful for. It is this pedagogue. It is, uh, it's the Greek word, uh, pedagogos. Uh, We get to this in verse 23 as a lead in. "But, But before faith came, we were kept in custody under the law being shut up to the faith, which was later to be revealed. So then the law became our guardian until Christ came, in order that we might be justified by faith. So, in custody, shut up to the faith, and by a guardian is how my New American Standard gives this. It's interesting, there's a great variety of translation as to the words here and the thought expressed. This under custody to the law, in the King James it says, you're under the law. Uh, NIV held in custody to the law. Contemporary English version guarded under the law. The Christian standard, I think, may add it a little bit rough it says confined under the law and imprisoned. There's there's quite a few English standard version uses the same thing, held in captive under the law, imprisoned, and so the the condition of people under the law is some sort of custody. It, it, it could be imprisonment, uh, by some translations, could be under a guardianship. By some translations. It's interesting. I'm not usually a huge fan of the American Standard Version. Uh, Great clarity and insight. Uh, I think a lot of times I just don't like how it reads. But it alone, of every English translation, has in this verse, I kind of think, maybe what the idea is best. The American Standard says, We were wards of the law. A ward of the law. Now, it's not often today we we think about wards. Uh, I remember uh reading some um uh, you know old British books where they talk about wards and the like or uh the one ward we're probably most familiar with is uh, Dick Grayson, youthful ward of millionaire Bruce Wayne. Right? And if you think about uh, you know Robin to Batman, uh Robin is uh under control, uh he's under the authority of of uh, uh, of Batman. Uh, Dick is under uh under Bruce's control. And what rights and what privileges uh, does, does Dick Grayson have as the youthful ward of millionaire Bruce Wayne? Well, I mean, he has access to the house. Uh, he lives a pretty nice lifestyle. You know, Alfred the butler looks after him and Harriet cooks dinner for him. Uh, he's pretty well taken care of. Uh, but what is his authority over the house? He doesn't have any authority. And, and what if Bruce decided to turn him out on his ear? I guess He could um uh, i'm not sure what the custody arrangement was maybe Bruce couldn't but uh but that idea of a ward uh that you are uh you belong there in a sense but also you don't that's what the law was this guardian this oversight but uh this 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 uh guardianship is to lead to a, ma- a more mature state Where you can take your stand uh, as an independent and hopefully uh, fully functioning adult, and so this uh, the law uh, functioned in that way as the guardian uh, who had charge to train, direct, uh, and to tutor until things were as they should be. So for the time though, you're under all the restrictions. You're under all the restrictions as a ward. Under the guardian, under this pedagogos, now we have the English word uh, pedagogue, which uh, means a teacher, uh, but it also has with it kind of a negative, and unflattering uh, picture of a teacher as someone you know particularly strict and pedantic. And I have to say, if you lived under the law of Moses, you might find the law a bit that you know a bit of an unflattering picture of the of that pedagogue, pedagogue in that way too. So then you become in verse twenty four. Uh, you, you're under that tutor. Uh, again, different translations give it a chaperone, which doesn't always have positive connotations, does it? Uh, gives it a schoolmaster. Uh, only one, There's one English translation, and again, it's not one I usually go to and refer to, uh, but I think maybe it gets the sense. It's the New Revised Standard Version. And how often do we refer to that? Not so often. But the New Revised Standard Version says a disciplinarian. The laws, the disciplinarian, to bring us to Christ. I kind of think that gets the sense. So between these two versions, I don't use all that much. Ward from the American Standard is our con- is the condition under the law. The disciplinarian is from the New Revised is the position of the law. So the wards under the disciplinarian until until that day comes where. The promise comes, and what we're looking for for uh, the realization for justification gets here. Now, again, one more time, uh, tonight is Bibles J doesn't normally use night. Uh, This is from the message. Eugene Peterson's um, occasionally just kind of wacky paraphrase. But uh, I think in this case, Peterson in the message got it right. Uh, Peterson's paraphrase captures this pretty well. Until the time when we were mature enough to respond freely in faith to the living God, we were carefully surrounded and protected by the law of Moses. The law was like those Greek tutors with which you're familiar, who escort children to school and protect them from danger or distraction, making sure the children really get to the place they're set out for. And I kind of think the last part of that gets it. I'm not recommending the message, but I think in this passage, Peterson gets it. The law was like these Greek tutors, these pedagogos, who escort the children to school and protect them from danger or distraction, making sure the children will really get to the place they set out for. And so... I think about the tragic case of so many young people who before they ever get to the age where they would finish high school, by uh, illicit behavior, by criminal activity, by promiscuity or by illegal drug use or abuse of other substances, these people have ruined their life before their life got started. Anything sadder than that? They needed somebody to watch over them, right? And so we think about these pagan nations and pagan cultures, these these places of the ancient world that might have had so much in so many ways to recommend them, but these cultures were just destroyed by uh, ungodliness. And how sad for them that they didn't last until Christ came. Well, what kept the Jews from ending up on that, as we say, ash heap of history? What kept the Jews from becoming this uh, paganized, immoral people who just get swallowed up and, uh, into history and nobody knows what happened to them? God and the law. that God, through the law, was protecting and guiding them. God was bringing them to the point of faith through Christ. And so, as it says, they are brought here by the schoolmaster, or the tutor, the, the chaperone. They're brought here in order that we might be justified by faith. So the law's eventual end, and the law's greatest purpose, was meant not when people kept the law. The law's greatest purpose was when people under it found out that Jesus came, and they saw in the law, in the types and figures of the law, and they saw in the teaching of the law, they saw that Jesus was the one that it all pointed to. That's when the law met its highest purpose. And why the law then? Well, verse 24 concludes, in order that we might be justified by faith. Now, as it says in verse 25, now that faith has come, we're no longer under that tutor, that guardian, that schoolmaster. So next time, we're going to talk about from verse 25 to the end of the chapter, Lord willing, about being delivered to faith in Christ. So, what was the law for? Jew says, Paul, you're blasting the law. What, 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 were we just better off being without it? No. It was for transgression, both to limit transgression, to point out the seriousness of transgression, not for life, not for that, shutting all men under sin, but keeping them constrained and restrained as a schoolmaster, as this disciplinarian, bringing them to the point of faith in Christ. But Paul says, O happy day, O blessed day, now faith has come. So let's talk about that. Thank you for listening to this sermon from the Mulvane Church of Christ. Additional sermons and information available at mulvanechurch.com. Come see what a difference the Bible way makes.